0: Welcome to Series 2 of the Life Course Podcast from the ESRC, International Centre for Life Course Studies at UCL. I'm Chris Garrington. In the first episode of our new series, we're discussing smoking and public health in Canada. My guests are Dr Thierry Gagnier, who's been compiling new evidence in this area, and Cynthia Callard, Executive Director at Physicians for a Smoke Free Canada. I started by asking Cynthia about why many of us assume that smoking is no longer a public health burden and about the situation in Canada specifically. It is true that people think the smoking problem has diminished but I think
1: that's because they're looking at smoking rates not the absolute number of smokers. Surveys in Canada and surveys around the world show that the number of smokers has not declined that much over the past 10 or 20 years although it has marginally. For example In Canada, in the 1960s, 70s and 80s, when Canada had the highest smoking rates in the world, there were about 7 million Canadian smokers. And today, when we have among the lowest smoking rates in the world, there are about 5 million Canadian smokers. So you could say that we've made great progress in reducing smoking rates, but we haven't made great progress in actually reducing the absolute burden of disease.
0: So uh, Thierry, such has been the level of concern around this issue that you were invited to bring together some of the latest research in this area. Tell us about what you've actually been doing specifically.
2: So in late 2020, the Public Health Agency of Canada, who has its own official peer-reviewed journal, contacted one of their editorial board members to produce a special issue on the topic of smoking and vaping in Canada. So that person contacted me to work as the second guest editor on that special issue. I think there were two main drivers for the special issue. As evidenced by your first question, right, uh, was the sense that there were challenges to the idea that tobacco control should continue to be a priority, which requires not so continued economic investments because it was, quote unquote, no longer a problem. The idea was to need to show evidence only through say large efforts that can we continue to have these declines over time and the second key driver I think for wanting to have a special issue on smoking and vaping today was that while we had at the Canadian level we had a good sense of time trends in vaping over time which were quite worrying because the prevalence of vaping is growing so rapidly there was also a recognition that for other kinds of questions related to vaping Canada was kind of trailing behind in its research, and that most of the research and the evidence on which Canadian legislators could work came from the U.S. and the U.K. So for questions like who was vaping today, what were the health effects of vaping, and what could be done in terms of interventions and policies to curb the upward trend in the uh, vaping uptake. And the problem with that is that the U.S. and the U.K. have had very different circumstances compared with Canada. So both trends in vaping over the over the, the past decade has been different. The legislation around to control and vaping has been different, and the technologies and the market for e-cigarettes device has been different, uh, so within these countries. So that we're so again, those were the two drivers why uh, a special issue in Canada made sense right now.
0: And, so, and the response to your call for papers was really, really positive. Lots of interest in this area. And the first uh, part of this special issue came out at the end of 2021. What was the focus for that?
2: Initially, we didn't want to have two parts for a special issue. And I think most special issues only have one part, right? Um, but we really saw that there was uh, two distinct focus among the papers that were retained around. So one smoking and the second mostly vaping. So we decided to separate the issue into two parts. So the first one focused on smoking.
0: I want to talk a little bit about one of the papers, um, particularly one that you both contributed to, which focused on Quebec. Thierry, first and foremost, uh, talk us through the background to that.
2: So outside of Canada, maybe the province of Quebec is best known for, for the export of selling Dion. Uh, but within Canada, uh, the province of at least within public health especially, uh, Quebec is known for being among the regions with the highest prevalence of smoking over the past decades. So I'm I'm a Quebecer. And uh, with colleagues from uh, my uh, university where I did my PhD in Montreal, we were working on a project over the past two years that looked at changes in smoking over the past decade in Quebec in keeping with the largest uh, tobacco control intervention that had been done around 2015, 2016. So part of that research looked at investigating which smoking-related characteristics or outcome varied most uh, within Quebec over time and in comparison with other provinces to kind of see what could explain Quebec's disadvantage in terms of smoking. More specifically, it was just uh, looking about initiation and cessation among men and women in different age groups, looking at youth and older, uh, older adults over time.
0: Right, so a, a professional and a personal interest in what was going on uh, in Quebec. And what, what did you find about stopping and starting smoking in that area?
2: So continuing on what Cynthia said in the beginning, we found that the only indicator or smoking-related indicator that uh, performed quote-unquote worse in Quebec compared to other provinces was initiation before the age of 18. Both the fact that you start more uh, if first cigarette in Quebec you know, the provinces is higher means that youth prevention could be a priority target that could help uh, Quebec more quickly match other provinces over time. Whereas indicators such as smoking cessation in those who are over the age of 18 or any smoking initiation that's done after the age of 18, those rates basically do not vary meaningfully across provinces. So if our goal is that the province of Quebec is able to rapidly match the prevalence In other provinces, those wouldn't be as strong as priorities as focusing on youth initiation.
0: Right, and Cynthia, I wonder if you can uh, give us some reflections on whether you think those findings provide some insight into what is going on elsewhere in Canada. Do we learn something more broadly? I think the Quebec study
1: confirms the general experience that most of the driver of success in reducing smoking rates is by preventing initiation. We have made very little change over the last few decades in the rate of of quitting smoking. It's only been with respect to the rate of starting smoking that we've seen progress. And it's so easy to lose sight of how dynamic a population is. We look at, for example, a, a drop in smoking over a decade, forgetting that over a decade, there's a large number of the population which has died of smoking or other causes, and a large number of people who've grown from being primary school students to being university students. And in case of Canada, a large number of immigrants. And immigrants, um, uh, although they are socially and economically disadvantaged in Canada, Um, are not disadvantaged with respect to smoking rates. They smoke at much lower rates than the average population. So we see um, that just preventing initiation has really been a driver. And the importance of this yeah, when we've come to the new products, um, vaping products are common in Canada, we don't yet have nicotine pouches and heated tobacco is not commonly used. But these other new products are pro- posing a, um, a greater potential risk to losing our progress against uh, smoking initiation. And that's, I think, why in Canada, there's been so much concern about growing vaping rates among young people, because we've, we've had such progress. The, Uh, smoking rates among young people have fallen to the single digits over the last year and, this, and just a handful of children. In some cases, there's so few answer the survey question that they smoke that it's not even reportable. So this has been an enormous public health success and it's one that we're very
0: concerned about um, losing a grip on. Cherry, unfortunately we can't talk about all of the papers, um, but I wonder if you can talk us through some of the other key things to emerge from the research in this, this special issue first part.
2: So for part one on smoking, the papers that came out in the last edition last November so there were both commentaries and empirical papers. And uh, regarding the commentaries, the the common the story across the, 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 the arguments was just how much we still do not know uh, about smoking uh, in, in Canada right now. First, uh, Canada legalized cannabis in 2018, and there's still not a robust evidence base regarding its potential effect on the normalization of tobacco smoking. See the elephant in the room right now is the pandemic and its effect not only on health, not only on healthcare, but also on other healthcare systems, including tobacco control. And so to both of the commentaries that we add this carries concerns in different aspects uh, about the role of the pandemic in reshifting public health priorities and weakening existing tobacco control infrastructures as a result of the, also the transfer of economic and human resources towards dealing with the pandemic. We're not saying Put everyone out of the uh, out of working on the pandemic and towards tobacco control, but again, it's making sure that we don't lose momentum.
1: And and to go back to uh, Terry's point about the in unequal burden of smoking on some populations, we haven't really a good handle on uh, what we can do to prevent initiation in the vulnerable populations, which in Canada include very much uh, Indigenous Canadians who smoke about 50% of Indigenous Canadian smoke or people with uh, mental health uh, challenges or people with other addictions um, or people in lower income. I think this is something that's been recognized you know, in, in most uh, developed countries as they've gone through their first few decades of tobacco control is recognizing that it is an unequal burden and the need to find programs and policies which address it better Um, and I think that this this issue touched on some of that but that's
0: a remaining big
1: important knowledge gap for Canadians.
0: Yeah I was just sort of wanting to go back a step in, in in some respects just to say as someone Cynthia obviously with a hugely keen interest in this area and a great deal of expertise and experience what you make of this sort of this body of research this in this in this first issue around smoking. I think the role of the research community as the driver of change has
1: uh, is increasingly important and is fundamental to what happens. Um, 30 years ago, it was perhaps professional health associations that were really... Uh, using trial and error to find some measure that would help reduce this what was perceived as a medical problem but uh, we we weren't quite so dependent on evidence Um, we didn't have as much evidence to fall back on and there was a large uh, community that was involved as tobacco was seen less and less as a large social crisis and I think the removal of smoking from public places has contributed to that it's no longer visible in many ways, it's become a bit of a hidden problem. As that's the case, I think we're increasingly dependent on researchers to maintain a definition of the problem and to point to potential solutions and to try them out. So this this edition, as well as just publications by Canadian researchers and other researchers and other journals is really a vital part of clearing the path for programming and policy changes in a way that it wasn't even 20 years ago.
0: So researchers and evidence have a, a really key role to play. It seems to me that from what we've talked about today, the battle to ensure that smoking isn't a public health burden in Canada is very much far from, from one. Is there anything else that needs to, to change? Thierry, I'll put that to you first.
2: There's this expression that I uh, I found fantastic uh, that are used by um, by Canadians working on uh, public so Population Health Intervention Research, they call it moving from a science of problems to a science of solutions. So we have had a pretty good idea of which group has been more likely to smoke for a couple of decades now. And similarly, we now also have a, a, a much better idea over each year of who is starting to vape now, in the, so in, specifically in Canada. But there's far less evidence about interventions that work, especially across the social group. So including not only averages, but also um, more socially vulnerable groups. So to guide this research, it's both about interventions that are tailored to specific social groups, but also questioning or g- going more towards um, tobacco companies, trying to understand and examine the strategies that they use and uh, then see how we can use policy in order to prevent these. And the latest point was also to the to. Uh, to more research on the continued effectiveness of increasing taxation, which has been working in the past, but is, me- is hypothesized to work less as uh, new taxation increases are occur over time in the context that it has not been consistently increased across all Canadian provinces over the past decade.
1: I think the biggest challenge is maintaining our own research momentum, our own policy-changing momentum, and also kind of uh, knocking down the silos that have stood in the way of progress in the past. Terry mentioned earlier that we don't have a good handle on the relationship between cannabis and smoking, tobacco smoking. We've treated these um, various addictions very separately before, and now I think there's a greater understanding that we have to look at the, the, the whole circumstances of individuals that we're trying to change. And we have to be willing, as Terry says, to to challenge some of the tools that we've used in the past and look at them again. So I, I think all of this is just um, is uh, that we can't afford to be satisfied with what we've done, and that we have to kind of look again and try again and find something else, all of which requires a research basis. I'm not from the research community. And when I started in this business, researchers and advocates hardly talked to each other. It was Dangerous for researchers to be seen as aligned with uh, a policy change. And all of that has changed dramatically. And I I think, so I think this this continued um, uh, development of more nuanced and tailored approaches, whether they're administered program level or whether they're administered as a matter of public policy.
0: It sounds uh, at least like you you both have some optimism about what could change and what might change. So that's a great note to, to pretty much end on. But Thierry, I just want to ask you finally about part two of the special issue, which is out very soon as we record this. And that does focus on vaping. I wonder if you can just give us a little little taster of what we might expect from that.
2: While part one focused on smoking, Uh, Part two presents, so five new papers around vaping. Uh, One paper talked about the landscape of vaping product marketing across Canada and the extent to which it may be compliant or not with current legislation. Um, There were two other papers that looked at the distribution of vaping uh, among Canadian youth. And um, there was another paper that looked at um, the first wave of findings from the new Canadian uh, uh, vaping-associated illnesses surveillance system and finally, it was a great paper that looked at using, so simulation analyses to compare different uh, uh, legislative scenarios. So if we ask ourselves, what would population health look like if we either uh, completely banned e-cigarettes or only banned e-cigarettes among non-smokers, or if we just let it out as currently. So together, these papers offer a great base to kind of reflect on the next steps of community research and policy.
0: Tobacco Control and Canada's Endgame is a special issue of the Health Promotion and Chronic Disease Prevention in Canada journal, which has been guest edited by Jennifer O'Loughlin and Thierry Gagnier. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Life Course podcast. Make sure you subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts to access earlier and forthcoming episodes.